The College Game Day podcast is presented by Old Dominion Freight Line, helping the world keep promises. We got a real simple plan. One me and one mission. Georgia has won the national championship. You're a fan, you might think this is sports heaven. This might be college football heaven. This is ESPN's College Game Day podcast. Now alongside Pete Thamel, is Reese Davis. Let them eat steak. For the last time, the race for the ribeyes, we come to the final Saturday of the season, championship Saturday, where we will make selections and talk other things college football. And, you know, I'm not trying to be a downer, but it's the most anticlimactic championship Saturday of the college football playoff era. But we are still excited to see ball. Glad to have you with us. College Game Day podcast, Reese Davis, Pete Thamel, and Bill Connolly. Uh, Bill has torn himself away from watching from watching World Cup to come and, and grace us with his presence and talk yes. college football. It's Are we sure he's not, not watching? It's, not, it's Are, definitely not on right above the laptop who, right now. It's who, who's, who's playing right now, Bill, as we well, speak as, and record as this? As we record this, it is Poland versus Argentina. Uh, and depending on how things go, I might have to really carefully switch over to Mexico, Saudi Arabia, but we'll see how this goes. Okay. All right. So those games will not be part of the race for the ribeye selection. Pete, Pete, has anybody been hired for a job today? Nobody has been hired for a job today. Ren Baker, uh, the North Texas AD, became the uh, AD at uh, West Virginia today. That uh, oh, wow! That went that went down this morning around. What, 10 what does that mean? What do you suspect that means for Neil Brown? I suspect the fact that well, let's look at how Auburn handled this, right, Reese? Um, mm-hmm. Auburn fired Brian Harson before they brought in John Cohen. So the new mm-hmm. AD didn't have to like leave his introductory press conference with a bloody knife, <laughs> like going after the coach and walking down the hall of the football <laughs> complex. Probably, probably not a great look to have, uh, you know, to have a bloody glove your, uh, your first day on the job. Um, so I would think that logic would lead us to think that Neil Brown winning two out of three against two of the better programs in the big 12, if not the better teams this year um, would give him a little leeway. And let's face it. There are not a lot of big 12 teams that will be in the big 12 five years from now that have the appetite to spend $17 million to uh, get rid of their coach. So the, the signs point to Neil Brown staying at West Virginia, whether those are realities, I mean, those that you're not in a job interview going to say, I'm going to fire a coach who I don't know and have no idea about his program. So <laughs> um, the, if, if it has not been done already, the, I, I would think the prevailing thought there is that it won't, uh, it won't happen in the, uh, in, in the upcoming days. Um, you know, remember when Mike bone took USC from Cincinnati, uh, mm-hmm. it was three, four, three, four years ago, Clay Helton was on his perpetual asbestos pants, hot seat, and, uh, just finding different ways to survive in advance. And he made Mike bone rate a really good point, like a day, a day or two into the job. It might've been before he took it. Cause everyone's like, Oh, he's going to come in and fire Clay Helton. He's like, look, I don't even know what I'm hiring to. I don't know the strengths of the program. I don't know the weaknesses of the program. I don't know the players in the program. I don't know the personnel in the program. I don't know the infrastructure. I don't know how we're set up compared to our conference. I don't know anything. So how can I make a decision this big when I don't even know like what I'm making the decision for and about? And I always thought that was very sound logic to, hey, if you're going to come in and do this, it's really, it'd be really, it'd be disingenuous to fire the coach within a week. Um, and they actually waited and then Clay won a little bit and they waited a little longer and then they didn't wait at the start of last year. But I did think philosophically to me, that notion made a lot of sense. So that was a longer answer than he probably wanted. But no, but it, it, you, you know, you bring in, I mean, if, if you do it the other way, then it's pretty clear that someone else is calling the shots almost certainly, or the new guys being reckless and neither of those things are good. I mean, yeah. those, those are uh, bad philosophical approaches. Yeah. To this. The the notion on Neil, and nobody nobody said this out loud at West Virginia, but the notion on Neil is does he take the Scott Frost Jim Harbaugh route? Mm-hmm. A little less and, guaranteed money, bet on yourself. Um right. Th- that's a scenario that's been uh that's sort of been theorized. 
um, in this uh, in 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 this round. So look, there's there's some golf and that, and that, just by definition that can go one of two ways. It can go right. the Harbaugh way or it can yeah. go the Frost way. Right? <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're, those are really the only two times that I recall seeing that in in my years covering college football. So yeah, one's one's a pretty happy ending. I mean, one's one of the great turnarounds in college football, and then the other one is well, they got Matt Rule. So that's good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it worked out. And and the other thing is, if Matt Rule doesn't work, which I think it will, mm-hmm. but if it were to not work, mm-hmm. I have no idea. No, yeah, no idea. Fair. I mean, that's you know fair. what what to do, what to do there because you hired the favorites favorite son who took a program that was zero and twelve, zero and twelve. Maybe better players than zero and twelve, but they were still zero and twelve. And in two years, had them undefeated. You bring him home, seems like a slam dunk. Doesn't work at all. Now you bring a guy who won at Temple. He took Baylor at, at its worst point, one of the worst points in of any program in recent memory in college football. And he had them uh, playing in New Year's Six games, uh, you know, a hair away from the playoff. If that doesn't work, I, I no idea. I think it's going to. That's the good news for Sarah and all other Nebraska fans. But to be fair to them and also to bring them down uh, today, then I also thought Scott Frost was going no, to work. That's, that's the one thing I've learned about coaching changes over the last few years. It's just finally I've internalized that, you know, we're wrong about some of these jobs, but at the same or some of these hires. But at the same time, if a guy wanted a bunch of other jobs and didn't win with you, it's probably you. Um, and, and Frost obviously made plenty of mistakes and the special teams he managed to put out every year was, was abysmal. He made plenty of, he had plenty of his own problems, but if, yeah, you go from turning around you at UCF and, you know, winning a national title, quote unquote, uh, there to not being able to even get above water at Nebraska, that's, that's a lot on Nebraska too. So we'll see what rule can do to, to, to unpack all that. I've been surprised Frost hasn't gotten more run in these AAC level jobs. Like if you are hiring for the AAC, you have a coach who's gone undefeated in the AAC, dominated the AAC. So you would think at the very least, he has proven that he can be a, you know, high end AAC coach. I'm not Scott Frost personal advisor by any stretch of the (laughs) imagination, but I I think it would be a terrible idea for him to take a job next year. I, I've got to think that whatever whatever was going on at Nebraska, all of the pressure and and everything with a, a lot of the stuff that happened that was candidly bizarre and uh especially toward the end of his time there, he, he needs some time to decompress and get it right. You know, I had a conversation with uh, Gus Malzahn about that, about taking another job so quickly after being run out. That wasn't his plan. Uh, and, you know, he actually told me, he said, actually, I agree with you in theory that it's a pretty good idea to take a step back. But because of the UCF job and what the potential of that is that most coaches believe the potential it has and the shape that it was in when he was taking it over, it was, he said, it was one of the few that he wouldn't have passed on there. And obviously that's worked out pretty well for them because he might win a conference championship if he can beat Tulane for a second time. I'm not sure how many of us think that they will and how many of us think that they won't and how many of us will be contrarians just to try just to try to have the other or the loser pay for the ribeye. So Taylor, let's go. Maybe we can talk about some other things uh, later, just depending on how talkative and undisciplined we are over the course of the picks. But let's let's launch in here. I mean, it's championship weekend. It's time to finish strong. It's like uh, Jim Harbaugh said this week, quoting from the book of Harbaugh here, the first rule, it's not a principle, it's a rule of champions, is you don't let up. So the three of us, we haven't shown a lot of championship medal so far in terms of picking games, but... Let's not let up. Let's do it. It is good! Well, Reese, you keep saying that this championship weekend will be anticlimactic, but the race for the ribeye is nothing but fireworks and, you know, big car chases, right? Right what you want at the end of a dramatic movie. So we've got all three of you. I don't know how this happened. You're all nodded at 52 correct selections. I mean, what what are the odds of that happening with going into week 14? 
Not not very high, I would think. <laughs> and Pete actually, b- because you didn't do the hook thing yet, <laughs> that Pete mm-hmm. got a push last week, and and the rest of us, what did what did we? Oh no, we all got a push. I guess with Alabama Auburn, yeah. right? Collective yeah. push, yes. A collective push, yes. And I I think uh, all Pete because picked, yeah. the Alabama defense is clueless against that trick play called a quarterback draw. And but that saved that saved me and hurt you guys because I had Auburn in the points. So innovation, Reese. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's get to it here. We're going to pick every one of these title games here. We're going to start with the Conference USA title game, North Texas at UTSA. UTSA is an eight and a half point favorite. Let's go, Reese, Pete, Bill. This was a really good game the first time they played. UTSA had to win it right at the end. Um, the mean green been a little bit up and down in their running game. They've gotten a bunch of running backs hurt. They've got the oldest quarterback in the country. I think in Austin Ani, who turned it over a little bit, but he'll also spin the bean for you. I, I want to, because that game is, is, you know, the eight and a half point spread. It feels like that's enough points for the mean green based on the last game. But I feel like they're almost begging you to take it. I mean, UTSA's had another great run. North Texas has been good most of the time. Like I thought the easiest money on the board a couple of weeks ago was uh, was North Texas getting, I don't know, seven or eight at UAB, and they got blasted. They got lost by 20. So I, I don't think either of them played great last week. So they're not coming in all – rolling they both sort of you know putzed around a little bit but i'm going to take utsa and lay the points i know how dangerous that is after the way the mean green played them the first time but i'm going to go road runners there well if there's one thing we know about our meet meep beloved road runners is that they have no love for blowing people out um the road runners are always perpetually and habitually playing close games. Now, Jeff Trailers, their coach, veteran high school coach, the stadium's named after him at Gilmer High School. He knows how to win a football game. Um, what was it? Was the COVID year? They had like three game-winning kicks. Uh, it's just sort of like it's it's a little bit of a, a lifestyle for uh, for them. I'm looking at 31-28 Western Kentucky, 31-27 over North Texas, double overtime UAB. Um, they did trounce uh, Louisiana Tech and Rice, but they beat UTEP by a field goal last week. So I just think with the stakes, what they are, I will uh, put my stakes behind the mean green and a big old heaping helping of points. I'm nice and relaxed now. Now that the lead's gone, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, the U.S. national team here. I'm much better in a tie situation than I am with the lead. So um, I'm feeling pretty good here. Uh, my number is... My numbers love UTSA, but they are a funny team in that basically they they end up going, you know, raising rising a lot in the rankings by blowing out bad teams, which is, you know, a predictive and, and uh, important thing that tells you who's good and who isn't. But yeah, against every single team that is anywhere close to them in the rankings, they're basically playing a three to six point game. Um, and, and that was certainly the case, uh, when, when they played North Texas a few weeks ago, I'm just, I, I, you know, this is my gut has not treated me all that well in this contest, uh, recently, but my gut says North or UTSA has the two or three best players in this game. And so I'm going to, I'm going to assume that, that in this kind of circumstance, that means they end up winning by whatever it is, 10, 12, something like that. Instead, uh, SP plus says 11, um, which, you know, it did better than I did last week. So I should definitely lean on what it says and we'll go with UTSA. Come on, Frank Harris, put up some numbers. Let's go now. That's right. The Pac-12 title game in Las Vegas, Friday night, 8 o'clock, USC, a three-point favorite against Utah. Let's go Pete Bill Reese. Uh, The Pac-12 title game. Do you like that this game's on Friday or not? It opens up the schedule. I like that it opens up the schedule. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> at least we're at least we're all not like like-minded people here, and we yeah. uh, we we disagree. <laughs> and I, I asked the question because, like, I you know I could go uh, I could go either way. Now, part of it is I don't usually stay up very late on Fridays because I'm lame and old, but also I have to wake up early for game day. As does as does Reese, who actually has to do real work. I just have to talk about ankle sprains for ninety seconds. He's got to talk fluently and remember. 6,000 names for three hours straight. I, uh, 
Give me the line again, Charles. If you don't I think mind. it's three. 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 Yeah, that's right. It's three. So I took Utah last time in this uh, in, in this game, and I believe they were favored. And I am not going to take them this time. I just feel like USC, a bunch of guys got hurt for USC in that game, if you remember. Eric Gentry got hurt. Uh, Mario Williams got hurt. Jordan Addison got hurt. And it seemed like a little bit of that caught up to USC, which while they they got some starlets from the portal, don't have a ton of quality depth. Um, they seem to have found some sync and some identity. And I just can't trust Utah's offense at this point to score 40-something points. And I would think somewhere in Alex Grinch's playbook, they can write in crayon, cover the tight end in capital letters. And if they can do that, they will uh, – they will end up winning this game by more than the score. It's funny. Like in my head, um, trends have been pointing towards USC uh, you know, since they played last. But then I, I was looking at the results and you know, compared to their projections and whatnot, and, and they just don't really as 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 much as the offense continues to improve, the USC defense is still just terribly mediocre. And um, Utah, meanwhile, obviously they blew a great shot against Oregon. Um, that, that was a very that, that that was a game they probably should have won, considering Bo Nix's health and all that. But I, I my gut was telling me USC, and then everything I researched while putting together my preview just pulled me back towards Utah. And and. So I don't think I feel great about either one of these, but I guess give me uh, give me the team that isn't favored here. Give me the one that's getting points. Give me Utah. I, I think the number indicates, and I'm not a gambler, uh, and that's been obvious and thankful for my uh, for my financial <laughs> statement after the way I've, I've picked this year. But it seems to me that with the way these teams are playing with this small number, they're begging you to take USC. But when I watch Utah right now, I get the feeling of they are like Rocky in one of the Rocky movies in one of the fights he loses. They're getting just, they're just taking haymakers, <laughs> but they don't fall. You know, I mean, they, they lost Keithy, Kincaid's banged up now, Cam Rising missed a game under mysterious circumstances. He says he's better now, looked a little bit more like himself. Uh, albeit against Colorado, makes a lot of folks look good. But, you know, I think I, I just I feel like Utah is keeping it together, like with duct tape and bailing wire and the and the jalopy is going down the street and it's jangling and and they're willing their way to the finish line. And there's a lot of power in that. And Utah's won a lot of games like that. Um just because they out tough whoever they're playing, I I I sort of I sort of agree with Pete. I don't know how they can score enough. Like they needed forty three to win last time in front of their crowd, their stadium, hostile atmosphere, high intensity. They needed forty three, and I don't think they can get there. So I'm I, I'm going to take SC and lay the points and say the Trojans, you know. For, Whatever you think about it, and I'll admit it, I'm not. I, I'm. I'm fine. It'll be fun seeing them in the playoff. But the notion, I think, of new coach bringing in 26 players and going to the playoff, you hope it's an aberration. Just to be honest, I'm all for player movement. I'm. I'm pro player. There are many, many cases in which players should be and need to get into a new circumstance. I. I don't think anything should be enacted to limit that until it becomes fully professionalized and it's a contract. Prior to that, they should be able to do it. But there's there's something that doesn't feel great about it, to be honest with you, but I think it's going to happen. So I'm going to take USC, lay the points, and and do what we do in college football. We suspend disbelief. You know, you, you don't worry about the fact back in the day when we were kids that, you know, that your favorite running back, if you were an SMU fan, was driving a new Trans Am that was given to him by a booster and thereby making him ineligible. You enjoyed the fact that he was running for touchdowns, right? So, you know, if you're bothered by it, which admittedly, I guess I am a little bit, um, I'll, I instead, I really like watching him play, you know? <laughs> so I, I, so I really like watching SC play. So I will, uh, I'll say SC's going to win, go to the playoff and, they will be a handful for whoever they get once they get in the playoff. Uh, one I think other you could be pro player and pro continuity, right? Like, like, like 
that's I don't think that's uh, that's disingenuous. You yeah. can you can want to the teams like I wish college basketball. I wish I knew who was on every team every year, you know, come come yeah. November. Yeah. And it's just not that way. And that's the way the sport's been designed. And I'm not I'm not bitter about it. I don't wish anybody who's transferred well or one and done, you know, ill will. But of at the same not, time, yeah. like as a as a consumer and a customer of the sport, and obviously this is a sport that that supports fine livings for all of us. Like I just think like I don't think it's awful to think okay, like we we like to see consistency through it, not just be rooting or following you know uniforms and coaching yeah. staffs. Yeah, and you know that's that's what I that's what I was getting at, I guess, because it it's a copycat industry. NFL is a copycat league, so is college football. And if if Lincoln Riley can do it, everybody in the world is going to think they can do it, you know. And and you you might have I don't know. People have a right though; they're all adults, including the players. They're adults. They have a right to make bad decisions, just like I do sometimes. So you know, it's. Um, you know, you always worry and say, well, they might make a bad decision if they leave their first school and go someplace else. Well, that's part of being a grown up. Sometimes you have to make hard decisions and sometimes they're they're the wrong ones and you have to course correct. That's that's the way it goes. One thing that we got deep the, and philosophical fast, didn't we? One thing it took me a while to accept was that, um, you know, I, I'm always very pro player and very pro parody, you know, those seven season and all that. Like, I love both of those things. But the more pro player you get, you know, the the more some of those players are going to gravitate towards certain schools. Um, that's certainly the way it's been following European soccer through the years is, you know, players have more freedom than ever. And look, like the top 12 clubs get all the players they want. And so it is a contradiction there. You, you find yourself rooting for a contradiction. Uh, one last thing on USC, Utah, by the way, the two things that have kind of changed since that game the first time around, number one is Utah. Like, they got gashed on the run. Caleb Williams had a long scramble. The uh, Travis Dye had a great game. They're defending the run much better than they were. They also actually sacked Caleb Williams, and it feels like nobody's been able to do that in weeks uh, because he's so escapable at this point and because he's, he's so dialed in. So could see a, a, a different Love types of success for the for the USC offense. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here, and guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now, making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Allstate. <clears throat> ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what? I'm doing my bracket right now. Making picks, predicting upsets, winning my bracket group, and leaving my old life as a part-time voice actor behind. Hey, you never know. And if I can do it while recording this awesome commercial, you can too. Anyone can bracket. Download the ESPN Tournament Challenge app to play the number one bracket game. Presented by Capital One. It is good! It's the college game day. Taking your tang tang purple tie Big 12 title game between TCU, a two and a half point favorite against Kansas State. That is at noon in Arlington, Texas. Let's go Bill, Reese, Pete. Speaking of contradictions, I am in a tough spot here where, um, you know, I, I, I'm a fan of new blood in the playoff. And so I'm kind of rooting for USC and TCU in that regard, because we know what happens if they both lose. Uh, we know who gets in probably instead, <laughs> the opposite of new blood. But but it's it, w- while I can still kind of talk myself into Utah, it's been Kansas State is so good right now. Um, and I really like TCU, obviously, blew out Iowa State last weekend. But, um, you know, Will Howard got his first taste of action, kind of jumped in in the second series last time uh, TCU and Kansas State played. He, they go four straight touchdown drives, go up big, and then they don't score again. It was a really weird game. They've averaged like 45 points or something since then with Howard in the lineup. Um, so I, I feel like if anything's changed from the last matchup, it's that K-State got way better. Um, their defense actually is kind of fading a little bit. So they're a different team uh, on both sides, maybe. But I, I 
This one's tough for me. The SP plus says TCU by 0.4, which I guess that gives me my line. I can still say TCU is going to win. They're just going to win by one. So K-State covers and TCU still goes to the playoff. I, uh, I know there's a scenario where they can still lose and make it, but I'm not holding out hope. I think they probably need to win and uh, we'll say they do so, but barely give me K-State. I, I will be, I am very respectful of the committee. I know it's a hard job. The only thing I can think of that would anger me on selection day would be TCU losing a normal game and not going. Now, most years, I wouldn't say that. This year, I would. They, they've, they've earned the ticket, and the only way they can take the ticket, rip it up, and throw it in the fireplace and burn it to ashes is if they get blitzed. Yeah. Now, if they, you know, if they get blitzed, I'm not going to have their back, you know, but if they lose 35, 28, 31, 21, they just lose to a team they've already beaten. Um, then I think they should go and there really shouldn't be any question about it. Um, you know, if they get blitzed, it's a different deal, but I, you know, I'm really torn on this too. That second half that you were talking about after yeah. those scoring drives, they they allowed Kansas State four first downs. I know they that uh, Howard got dinged up a little bit for a while. Mm-hmm. He left the game, came back, wasn't really as effective after he came back. And I think I think they had less than 100 yards offense in the second half. TCU's been really good in second halves defensively of games. It's what it's part of the reason they've been able to rally from these deficits. I, I don't know, man. I mean, maybe maybe I should be loving K-State, and I do. I mean, I said on the preview show uh, this, this year that everything in me wanted to pick K-State to win the Big 12, but I was their schedule scared me off a little bit. It wasn't because of the road game to TCU, by the way. <laughs> I would show that I had, I, had the re- I had the rest of the league all, all goofed up. But I... I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna ride with the with the hypnotoad. I think. Uh, I think they're gonna. I think they're gonna win. Um, and if they're gonna win, that's such a small number. Uh, was two and a half. I mean, I gotta think they're gonna win by a field goal. I guess they could bailer it and uh, do bazooka and kick the field goal or whatever. But I'm gonna take TCU and lay the two and a half. I am a. Uh, you know, obviously. Part of our job, we, we've all covered the NCAA tournament or been around the NCAA tournament a bunch and consumed hundreds of NCAA tournament games. And I am a huge believer in pucker power. I really do feel like with 18 to 22-year-olds in giant moments when the stakes are exponentially higher for you, that there is the chance to pucker. Now, mm-hmm. we, we talked a lot on this podcast. We joked about it here. We've joked about it on game day, Reese, about the uh, Sunny Dykes fade. Well, it's been the Sunny Dykes mm-hmm. surge. Let's face mm-hmm. it. Like that, yep. that is that the Sunny Dykes fade has gone the way of Clemsoning um, in, in, <laughs> in, in the vernacular. Uh, do you yep. remember like, Dabo with his dramatic soliloquy oh. killing, killing Clemsoning off? Um, they, yeah, they, even, they, they even got mad when, well, I was doing a game with Jesse Palmer once and he referred to it and they got really mad, but they even got mad at me when I redefined it and said that Clemsoning was playing in big games and winning championships. They they got so sensitive about just the word. They didn't even want it redefined, but uh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No problem. Bring your own axiom, right? That's what you have <laughs> right. to do. Uh, so that that said, it, the way that K-State has played at the end of this year and seeing just the electric surge that Will Howard has brought to that offense, and then you throw in a little of the pixie dust of pucker power, I am uh, I am going to take the Wildcats, the ghosts of Bill Snyder, emerging <laughs> for a Big 12 championship on a, on a sunny morning in a Walmart parking lot somewhere in suburban Dallas. You know what? Short running back led the way for Kansas State in 2003. Exactly. Exactly. Short running back on Saturday. Uh, I might have messed up with my pick now. I don't know. And, and we know from the back half of this season, Kansas State doesn't win normal close games. They either win in a blowout or yeah, they lose right. a close game. So yeah. TCU's either in or they're blown out. And so yeah. we'll see. Apologies, gentlemen. I omitted this game from our email here, but we cannot not pick the MAC title game between Toledo, a <laughs> one and a half point favorite against Ohio in Detroit. Uh, let's hear from Reese Pete Bill. 
Okay, this is an interesting game. Bobcats lost Curtis Rourke, their starting quarterbacks, a couple of weeks ago. He was leading the MAC in yards and touchdowns. Uh, C.J. Harris got his first collegiate start against Bowling Green. Um, I think he had, you know, three touchdowns in that game. Rockets also, their quarterback, Daquan Finn, has an ankle injury. Toledo's got really stingy defense. Um, you know, that's uh, – what? what's the number again on that, Taylor? What's the, what's the line? Uh, Toledo by one and a half. Toledo by one and a half. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take the Bobcats. The Bobcats have, uh, they have a sordid history. They've got a difficult history in actually winning the MAC. They've won the division, but they haven't won the MAC since. Uh, that would be the Nixon administration, yeah. or maybe maybe LBJ, nineteen sixty eight. Anyway, depends on when they played and when the uh, election was, I guess. But anyway, it's been a long time. So anyway, they won the division five times in the two thousand. They haven't won the MAC since sixty eight. So I think uh, even you know even without their quarterback, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say that Toledo's been struggling. They really haven't played well in their last two games. I'm going to say the Bobcats finally get it done. So uh, everyone who uh, loves all things game day and, and watches game day on Saturday, there'll be a few quarterback injury updates that uh, that, that come through with, uh, with, with that. And one of those key updates will be the health and status of uh, Daquan Finn. He hurt his ankle a couple weeks ago against Ball State. They brought him back for a couple series against Western Michigan last Friday, and uh, he didn't quite look like himself. So um, if, if, if one is considering investing in Mac games, which let's face it, our listeners probably are um, the health of Daquan Finn, your belief in Toledo, I think a lot of ways is going to go with your belief in Daquan Finn. So the fact that he played a handful of series last week, he didn't look great, but they at least felt good enough to run him out there would make you think that they're ramping him up a little bit for this game. Um, You know, give Ohio credit. They sort of recrafted their offense without Rourke and and, and found a way to uh, found a way to win last week and uh, and punch their ticket to the uh, to the MAC title game. But I am going to uh, look at the Rockets' recent schneid as Finn related. Realize they have the number twenty nine defense in the country, which uh, which in the MAC is like having a top ten defense because nobody plays defense in the MAC. Um, and I'm going to say that uh, the Rockets lift up the hardware. Jason Candle joins the immortal Toledo Tom Amstutz as uh, the Rockets' last back-to-back conference title winner. They also won like three in the '60s. They had Toledo went like won like 35 games in the '60s. It was pretty remarkable. Bill got really excited when I said that. <laughs> no, I've, I've I've written a little bit about those teams. Shockingly enough, no, like the turn of the '70s <laughs> Toledo teams. They lost like one game in three years or something. They were like yeah. a legit top 15 program there for a minute. Couple Tangerine um, Bowl wins, Bill. Chuck right. Ely, Chuck Ely, right? Quarterback. That's right. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, this one's hard. this one's hard because um, just trying to make sense of all the injuries in your head and what that might mean for the line. But I'm just going to lean on two pretty significant trends that started before the quarterbacks got hurt and blurried everything up here. Uh, number one is that over the last seven games, uh, Ohio State has uh, overachieved projections in my SP Plus ratings by 15 points a game. They were doing it even more, and then after Rourke got hurt, they only started overachieving by like 11 points, but that's still pretty significant. Uh, meanwhile, Toledo was already underachieving before Finn got hurt, and over the last five games, they've underachieved by 17 points a game. So it's, it's really been kind of a... Uh, uh, trending up, trending down situation. And so you factor that in with the fact that that my numbers say Toledo by only 0.9. I'm just going to flip over and say Ohio. I think, um, uh, you know, they obviously they've been favored in the MAC title game before. Um, you know, it'll be it actually kind of annoy me if they finally win one and Frank Solich wasn't there for it. I mean, he, he, <laughs> he got them so close so many times, but uh, this does feel any, if trends matter at all, they point to Ohio. You know, it's going to annoy you, Bill. When you get like 62 rocket emojis texted to you on Saturday afternoon, that's really going to annoy you. <laughs> that's fine. I, I have no pro- I love the glass ball. The glass ball is a weird place. I, I, I like Toledo a lot, but I, I'm, I'm going Bobcats. I may even voice note uh, some, some rendition of the anthem when the rocket's red glare. <laughs> I'll spare the singing to our podcast listeners. We, we, don't, we don't want those show, showing up in the reviews. They already had a point of opinions on the mooing. I can't imagine can, what my singing would bring. Can you, uh, can you sing the Toledo fight song? 
Oh, I have no idea. I can't even sing the Syracuse fight song. That's where I went to school. So I can sing Hail to the Victors. I heard it enough on uh, on Saturday. Next up is the Justice for JMU Sunbelt title game, Coastal Carolina at Troy. Troy, an eight-and-a-half-point favorite. Let's go Pete Bill Reese. Well, um, if obscure conference injury updates are your thing, you've, you're getting a back-to-back treat here. Uh, Grayson McCall, you know, one of the more established uh, and accomplished quarterbacks in the country, has been has been dealing with uh, with a lingering injury. Um, there's some ambiguity over his status. Jamie Chadwell has been coy in the media this week. So again, I would uh, pay attention to pregame warmups. I'd probably watch College Game Day on Saturday morning <laughs> to get a little better idea of uh, of old Grayson's status. Uh, Carlton Marshall, the leading tackler ever in college football, did not play the second half of the Arkansas State game for Troy. Troy's won nine in a row, by the way, since the, they haven't lost since the day we were in Boone and yeah. lost on that walk-off, which yep. is, yeah. uh, which is, which is totally wild. And Carl Marshall is obviously the heartbeat of that whole program. Uh, and John Summerall's first year, he's really just been a remarkable. So he's, he's been banged up. He's been banged up all year in, in some ways. So uh, th- th- that's also another important status to follow. If you're really uh if you're really buckling up on the belt or unbuckling on the belt, if you will, on uh, on on Saturday, I'm going to take Troy in this game. I just feel like they have been consistent, and I feel like Coastal's Coastal's winning um, it has been on a tightrope, right? Like they they they've certainly can't knock what they've done. They, they they certainly have consistently been one of the best programs in the country the last three years in, at the group of five at the group of five level. But I feel like at this point. The empirical evidence on coastal recently has not been good. Eight and a half is not a huge number, but if you if you're gonna like Troy for four and a half, you should probably like him for eight and a half. So I am going to take the mighty Troy Trojans. John Summerall has executed one of the best turnarounds in college football this year. Is it the best turnaround numerically, Bill? Um, that was Tulane, right? Yeah, oh, yeah, Tulane was more. Troy was they lost a ton of close games last year, so they're like their numbers weren't as bad as their record last season. So they kind of seemed poised for well, they seemed poised to improve. They didn't seem poised to go ten and two or whatever. So uh, yeah. they still this was still a nice run. Uh, it so annoyed me when I saw the the update on McCall this morning that he that you know he they were teasing that he might play because this before that news this was the easiest pick on the board to me. Troy, Troy easy, um, you know Troy by double digits. I I mean I. I can tell you that the stats say that, but also my eyes saw that last week, but they had kind of a championship moment against Arkansas state where they were just kind of wobbly for two, two and a half quarters. They were not looking very good. Um, they were kind of, you know, they were threatening to let everything slip away and let South Alabama win the Sunbelt West. And then they just said, you know what? No. And went out and just absolutely won every single play of the fourth quarter scored, whatever it was, 28 points in the fourth quarter, ran away with the game. Um, that, that, that it was encouraging to see. That was something where they they were not going to let it get away. And I think unless McCall not only plays, but plays really, really, really well, this is Troy's by double digits. I'm going to go the opposite way. And I really shouldn't after. <laughs> I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I offered the unabashed apology that I never should have taken Coastal in the two touchdowns thinking they would keep it close against James Madison. But we were talking earlier about teams that just play close games. Now, Troy hasn't in the last two. They played seven single-digit yeah. games this year. <laughs> seven. You know, almost every game is single digits. Well, the spread's almost that. So, look, I thought McCall was out for the year. I Now, Pete, you're, you're the guy who's locked in on all of this. I smell a rat here that it's just some type of something to – throw Troy off the scent somehow, or, or maybe just being that weird coaching thing of, I'm not going to divulge anything about injuries, even though everybody knows maybe Grayson goes out there and plays. I don't know. But I mean, I was under the impression that, that it was a wrap for him for this year, but even so I'm going to say there's still a little pride in the shots program and the numbers big enough for them to maybe sneak in the back door hang around, maybe Troy plays as it did against Arkansas State for a while. Um, I don't like the shots to win, uh, not down close to the – that game's at Troy, right, Bill? Is yep. that right? Okay, yep. not – you go down into the Wiregrass region of Alabama, you, you, better, you better be girded for battle. And so Troy's going to be ready to go. 
Got a really good team. I hope Marshall plays. We've got a little something special set for him on college game day Saturday morning to pay tribute to him and hear from him a little bit. So I hope he's able to go 100%. I think Troy's going to win it, but I'm going to take the points. Uh, I may live to regret it, but I'm going to take the points. Now I hope Grayson McCall has a a miracle healing. (laughs) As a Mizzou fan, I very much know about going to Troy. And, yes, you uh, do. Bad, bad things happening. So, yeah, that's right. It is good. The SEC title game is next. Georgia, a seventeen and a half point favorite against LSU in Atlanta. Let's go, Bill Reese, Pete. So for my Friday column, I, I like anytime I have to write a lot about a game with a pretty big line, I try to start with the whole, like, what would an upset look like kind of deal? Like, well, let's, let's, let's frame this, see how realistic I can make this. Uh, let's play a little trick here. Let's uh, well, it starts with Jaden Daniels running well, well, but his, his ankles sprained and it's hard to really count on that. Well, LC plays really good man defense. Georgia hasn't seen a lot. Well, but Bernard Converse is in or out and their secondary is banged up. And basically anything I try to talk myself into this game being close, just didn't work, didn't hold up. I, I don't see this game being close. I think LSU uh, had a lovely season, had a lovely run. Um, I don't think it was just some fall asleep and get let down last week against AM. I think they just, they've run out of gas. They're, the wrong guys are hurt. They, they might come back, but they might not be 100%. I think Georgia, very, very big in this game. I think the same. Uh, they're, you look for motivation in different places and you'd obviously rather have the national championship ring than anything else. But there are only two players on Georgia's roster that own an SEC championship ring, Robert Beal Jr. and Stetson Bennett, who won one when he was the quarterback for Herschel Walker. Um, but uh, those are the only two. They haven't won it since 2017. And that would be a nice little thing to add to the legacy there. Stetson, you know, hasn't thrown for a lot of yards lately. I think they'll get that going. I think they'll run at Harold Perkins to try to neutralize him. I learned that from spending some time with David Pollock um, this week, not in Georgia game plan, but just from watching areas in which um, in which he, which the LSU stud freshman is going to have to improve as Perkins is already a dynamic pass rusher, big at chasing plays down. Still a little light, a little light, you know, and they, they can run at him. And George has been known to do that. If Daniels can't escape, George has been known to get after a quarterback or two. So I I think the dogs roll. I, I think they roll big. And uh, it'll be very reminiscent of the last time Brian Kelly was in a conference championship game yeah. and uh, ran into Clemson and Notre Dame's one year in the ACC. And uh, I'm going to take Georgia big. Hmm. Well, you guys are just like going to let me run away with this thing, aren't you? Huh? We, mean, we've all—it's it's been kind of, I've been kind of keeping track. All the disagreements here. So there's not going to be a tie for first. I don't think somebody's going to win a couple. That's good. We at least want—we at least want clarity. If people have had to listen to our miserable picks all year, at least we, we don't have to like, <laughs> that's right. be miserably the least together. miserable. But yeah, they—they like they don't deserve—they don't deserve a tie after all. Yes, yeah. that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, like a, yeah. it's like a big septic meatball of picks. Not good. I'm not going to take Georgia for the for the simple reason that they certainly have blown out teams, right? But when they have faced decently stiff competition, I mean, they wouldn't have covered if it was 17 and a half against Kent State. So I just feel like LSU defensively is going to keep their offense in modest check. And there's been a penchant for slow starts and sleepy quarters. And again, it's a zit on the Mona Lisa. Georgia's really good. They're the best team in the country. But if Kentucky can slow them down in that way and Georgia Tech can kind of goof around with them for a half, I just really think that in Missouri, that's that's certainly the the, the prime example, the the sort of uh, the the flaw of their uh, of their mortalness um, or their fallibility, I guess is probably a better word there. I think that LSU could mess around and keep it close. It was interesting that Brian Kelly distinguished that Jaden was in a walking boot but did not have a high ankle sprain. So <laughs> they're trying to, they're, no, they're trying to get him better. Um, when you hear high ankle, like they're gone the next week, right? I mean, Reese, you've traded in this injury game uh, a mm-hmm. lot longer than I have. And uh, I really feel like if Jaden Daniels is there with a little giddy up, they could cause Georgia problems. Like Bill said, that's the, that's the start. If you're drawing up the upset path, that's the, that's the first mile marker on it. But uh, that that said, I think LSU's defense is 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 sound enough to 
to keep this thing, you know, moderately close. So I will take uh, I will take the backdoor Tigers. The AAC title game is next. UCF at Tulane. Tulane, a three and a half point favorite. Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill. This was a really entertaining game the last time. UCF jumped out to a big lead. John Rice Plumley had a 67-yard touchdown run, but now he's got a bad hamstring. But, oh, wait, that's no problem because a couple of times this season when John Rice has gotten banged up. Mikey Keene comes off to save the day. He did it against Cincinnati. did it against USF. Surprisingly, that he had to do it against USF <laughs> after they, they came back uh, and got the, got, uh, made it a game. So, you know, I've, I've been a little skeptical of Tulane uh, a couple of times. I've expected losses. I expected the UCF loss. Got it. Expected the Cincinnati loss, even though I haven't been really high on Cincinnati. Didn't get it and was wildly impressed by Tulane. You guys may have a piece of information that I haven't been able to find yet. Is there a reason that Ty J Spears only got eight carries in the first game against UCF? Because he he had like he had a, a 70 yard run in the game, had 130 yards, but only carried it eight times. I know he had injuries in the preseason. Did he get nicked up in that game? Or do we not know? I, as far as I know, it was more just that they were down early and and just kind of started throwing the ball around. Um, yeah, well, they, they just lost track of him. They're, they're not going to make that mistake again. Uh, I think I think UCF. I think we picked this game last time uh, that we maybe Bill, maybe you and I came down on the same side of this. That UCF probably just had uh, a few higher end players that I would make so, the yeah. difference, and that that is probably still true. But I, I'm going with Tulane. I, I maybe I'm maybe I'm riding too many waves for this championship week. No pun intended. But I think they'll get the ball to Spears more. I think they've I think they've developed a great deal of swagger and confidence, and they've answered every challenge. They came back against UCF and you know gave them a run after getting way behind. Every time Cincinnati looked like they'd pulled the thing out of the fire last week. Tulane answered and won the game. Uh, UCF uh, rush defense is a little bit, a little bit sketchy yards per carry. It's like almost four and a half, a little under that. You know, sort of bottom half of the country. They won't lose track of Spears. Well, the UCF defense might, but the Tulane brain trust on offense will not. He gets the ball more. Pratt has a good day. Tulane uh, wins it and goes. I think that would put them almost certainly in the Cotton Bowl. So Tulane ended that UCF game. You know seemingly like they figured something out in the second half. Um, they had to crank up the tempo a little bit, crank up the pressure. They were down at various times, uh, 24 to seven, 31 to 14. And they, they ended up making it a, uh, you know, a, a one score game at the end, uh, old friend, Valentino Ambrosio, the man who could have toppled the Michigan dynasty before he started kicking the, uh, extra points. He's a former Rutgers kicker who famously missed, uh, a pair of chances against right. Michigan in the COVID year. Yes, yes. The uh, yeah, you don't forget a Valentino Ambrosio. Uh, that's 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 for certain. So, um, the uh, I just saw his name looking at the box score here. Made me made me smile. I forgot he had uh, he had gone down to the uh, gone down to the Bayou. Not a lot culturally uh, similar from Rutgers to Tulane, I would think. That's that's a good. That's just you're just getting life experiences here. Uh, that's that's yes. a good move on his part. Yeah, there's probably still a lot of students from New Jersey, but other than that, it'd be a good experience. Um, all right. All that said, uh, sidebars, I think that the Willie Fritz flirtation with Georgia Tech, which obviously ended when they promoted Brent Key, uh, is is a galvanizing moment for this team, right? In this in this program, you know, pushing forward, does Michael Pratt come back and keep rolling? Um, he's obviously one of the best G5 quarterbacks, has been pretty much his uh, – his entire career there. So I would just think the moment and the opportunity combined with the momentum from how they finished that game and then have played since give me a little edge to the wave. Well, we finally agree on one. So congrats to, to you at UCF, I guess. But, oh, they're yeah. going to win it all. Oh no. Yeah. They, oh, well. um, 
to me, this does feel like, you know, a couple of different things going into Lane's factor. Number one is, I mean, UCF just started their last game perfectly. You know, they jump out, they scored their first three drives, four of their first five, they go up 24-7. And for that point forward, you know, 24-14 Tulane, um, despite getting away from the run and all that, uh, they still really kind of uh, ratcheted things up. But even beyond that, they responded to that loss by destroying SMU and then going to Nippert and winning at Cincinnati. And, and like we were saying a week ago, Cincinnati is a team that all year knew how to look disappointing and then win anyway. And so, yeah, like when they took the lead in the fourth quarter, like, well, Tulane gave it a good run. And instead they just responded and immediately got a, a touchdown and made two more stops. So that was I was blown away by how they responded. And meanwhile, UCF responded by losing to Navy and then almost losing to UCF. Um, both of those can be excused in a vacuum. The Navy thing that just fell asleep and, and Navy played really well. Uh, and, and UCF always seems to play them really well, but that didn't, I, I feel like in any sort of trend points in Tulane's direction here, and they really do have a lot, a lot going for them in this regard. This is a humongous moment for that program. So um, hopefully Willie Fritz stay and d- d- drives them a little extra and they get it done. That'd be a really fun story. UCF by 50. Yep. The Mountain West title game between Fresno State. They are traveling to Boise State. Boise State, a three-point favorite. Let's go Pete, Bill, Reese. Well, the Boise turnaround has kind of been one of the less talked about stories of this season. Uh, things looked bad early on. They fired offensive coordinator Tim Plow. Hank Bachmeyer, really a four-year starter at quarterback, jumped in the portal. Now, they luckily had Dirk Cutter sitting around the staff room, yeah. uh, his former NFL head coach who could call some plays and uh, – and get things uh, get things back on track. But the boys, the boys in blue now. It looks like Boise again, right? When you see them getting blown off the field against UTEP, it does not look like uh, that. Did not look like the Boise we've come to know really the last uh, the last fifteen years or so. So they, uh, other than uh, other than losing to BYU in a close game, they've been they've been rocking and rolling since their uh, since their early stumbles. So what have they what have they won then, Bill? Uh, seven of eight. Uh, yes. Something like yeah. That? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm going to roll with the, uh, I'm going to roll with the hot team. I, I, I just really feel like Hainer being back and healthy has been a, you know, has been a big boon obviously to, uh, to, to Fresno. Um, but, but really the, the, the transfer of Bachmeyer has, uh, has allowed the Boise offense to open up a little bit and then just look, uh, you know, just look a little bit, look a little bit different, quite frankly. Um, Taylor Green is one of the most promising young players in college football. He's uh, one of the more dynamic runners that we've we've seen at that position in recent years at the Group of Five level, and it may turn out to be at any level um, when it when it all comes down to it. And twelve touchdowns, four interceptions, but he's he's really he he has some he has some Vince Young to him on on the ground. He's averaging seven point two yards a carry. He's rushed for almost five hundred yards. Um, and uh, he's got some giddy up in his steps. So I, uh, I think he's the biggest weapon on the field, and I'm going to go with the Broncos. Yeah, I think I, I've, either, I've, I've said the word trends a lot in, in this uh, last hour or so, and, and to me, trends point in both of these teams' directions at the moment. They really did. I, I've, I think these were two of my wrongest picks in the world to start the season with the way Fresno and Boise both played. Obviously, injuries were part of that, but Boise was just a giant mess. And now you look back and, and these two teams are in the conference title game like they were supposed to be. I do think I'm going to go Boise basically because I think they have the single best unit in this game, and that's their defense. Um, eighth in points allowed per drive, sixth in yards allowed per drive. They don't miss tackles. They cover really, really, really well. I think just the offenses have been kind of up and down, and the quarterbacks have been in and out and hurt and whatnot and all of that. But in the end, Boise's defense is really, really, really good. And and so I'd say this, this is more like a, a Boise by seven kind of game. It should be should be really fun though. These are by far the two hottest teams in this conference and in a very, very mediocre mountain West. Uh, but this should still be a pretty high quality game. When Fresno state left that game against Boise state on the blue in early October, they walked out of there one and four. They didn't have their quarterback. And yet with 16 minutes left in the game, they were tied with Boise at 20. Now the Broncos scored the last 20 after that. 
Following week, Hayner still didn't play, and Fresno only put up 17. But after that, 41, 32, 55, 37, 41, 30. Hayner's back. They're a different team. Boise State is certainly better. I, I agree with you, Pete, about, about Green, but I'm going to go with Fresno State and take the points. I think that veteran quarterback, uh, they're hot. Haven't lost since that night, since they walked out. I say they'll avenge the loss and turn a 20-point loss into an outright victory, or if they don't do that, I would prefer it if they lose by less than three. The Big Ten title game in Indianapolis, Michigan, a 16-and-a-half-point favorite against Purdue. Let's go Bill Reese-Pete. Now, when you asked earlier about um, liking the Pac-12 title game on Friday night, my general answer is yes. In this case, putting it on Saturday, giving you one more viewing option might not be the worst uh, the worst thing in the world with the the way uh, the the big marquee game here might shape up. I, I tried the same thing. Like, let me talk myself into Purdue. How, how would I talk myself into Purdue having a chance in this game? It, it was it was difficult. They uh, they are, are a very efficient uh, defense. They they can force you behind schedule. Uh, they are one of the best third down defenses in the country. So that could be one of those things where it just slowly adds up over time. Where um, it feels like Michigan's doing pretty well, but every time they get in a third and six, they end up punting and Purdue stays close into the third quarter or something. That's definitely on the table. Um, Ohio State had a pretty efficient. Uh, defense too, and Michigan absolutely just tore the top off, however. And I think at this point, you know, with what we saw in last year's Big Ten championship game, the way they that Michigan responded to the Ohio State win, that was a long time ago, but it's still, it was an extra data point in favor of Michigan playing really, really well in this game. And if they play really well, Purdue is not staying close at all. So I'm going to, I'm going to go, this is the one game where my numbers very much disagree with the line. They say like Michigan by 24 or something. And I'm going to, I'm going to take that hit to go Michigan. There's reasons to take Purdue for for, for me in this game. I, I don't think you'll see there are a bunch of Wolverines. The most maybe the most impressive part of that Michigan win was that there were a bunch of Wolverines who who were some of the better players in that roster who really didn't impact the game. Yeah. Right. Blake Corum did not impact the game. Mike Morris did not impact the game. And and I would think some of those players they're just not going to play. Now obviously winning a Big Ten championship's important, but that with the, with the playoff in the bag, they're not going to risk further injury. I mean, in retrospect, Corum probably shouldn't have played, right? Like, if you're going to run two plays and tap out, uh, you're, you know, you're there kind of for a Willis Reed reason more than you are for, uh, you know, being actually able to help the uh, help the team. So, um, I, I could talk myself into Purdue, but I just do think this will be a methodical four and a half yard of carry pound, 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 pound type game. And uh, it was, it was interesting that, you know, one of Purdue's best wins this season was against Illinois. And I, I consider Illinois a little bit of a clone of Michigan in, in a lot of ways. And I think that's the reason why the Illinois is like the new Wisconsin. My theory is that Harbaugh has turned Michigan into like a better version of Wisconsin, like a tricked up Badgers from the, um, from the, you know, Hallmark Bielma era, essentially. So, um, by by all this Wisconsin association, uh, I, to go to say, I just don't think Purdue can go pound for pound with them uh, on the lines for 60 minutes. And I do still have that image of Iowa just completely capitulating on this stage last year in my mind. I do think there's a little happy to be there from the uh, Magic Boilermakers. Good for Jeff Brom and the boys, but I'm going to take the Wolverines. You know, I, first of all, uh, we often don't you know delve too much into the serious and the sad on this podcast but i do want to extend on behalf of all of us our yeah. condolences to aiden o'connell just a tragedy with the um with the sudden passing of his oldest brother sean it's been it's impacted him personally obviously and also he's been away from the team a little bit um so you know we'll see if he's in position uh emotionally and and whether it's the right thing for him personally to play i assume it is i think that's what they what they expect he's been aiden has been at his best in games against ranked opponents and he's won four of the five uh it's well known throughout the annals of college football the um the moniker spoiler makers uh because purdue went unranked nine times in their history uh they've beaten a team ranked in the top two 
top two, <laughs> you know, and that that's five more times than anybody else in the sport has done that. And so, so there's a little something to it that they've, you know, they believe they're built for this spot. It's sort of in their DNA. Um, but I, I just, I don't see it this time. I, I think it'll be very much like the big 10 championship game a year ago in which Michigan dominated. I don't know if if the score will be like that, but I think it'll be, it'd be pretty clear who the best team in the stadium is and the best team in the conference. So I'm going to say Michigan wins. They cover and get back-to-back Big Ten championships and off to the playoff for the second consecutive year, but this time going with a perfect record. Yeah, that was kind of my uh, my thought when we're heading down the stretch. I'm like, well, I don't want to see Iowa again. We kind of know what that – give us the team that randomly pulls the craziest upsets you've ever seen, even if they still probably get blown up by 24. Just in case, let's put Purdue and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, if, if anyone if anyone was going to pull that upset uh, historically in terms of the DNA of their yep. program, Purdue would be chief on the list. Uh, Wisconsin might be sitting in there a little uh, with a little bit of it too, but mostly it would be Purdue. Last game here before we get to your locks, the ACC title game in Charlotte. Clemson is a seven and a half point favorite against North Carolina. Let's go Reese, Pete, Bill. This is a, this is a, a tough one for both teams because this is a consolation bowl big time. Uh, I mean, I'm not even, are they going to give the winner the trophy or are they just shipping, are they just shipping that to South Bend because Notre Dame beat both of them soundly and Notre Dame plays in the ACC and all of the other sports uh, besides football. I actually had someone reach out on Twitter this week and she was very kind about it. And she was, uh, because I made a similar uh, snarky comment on game day Saturday about Notre Dame being the true ACC champion. And she said, you know, they don't play in the ACC in football. I saw so I responded and said I, it was a joke. I was kidding because they because they thrashed both of the teams that are going to play for the ACC championship. So I think you know with Clemson coming off that loss last week and and somewhere along the line, uh, my guy Drake May has uh, has gone face first into the proverbial brick wall. <laughs> He's hit the freshman wall. It has not been the same uh, the last couple of weeks as it was earlier in the season. I think Clemson's pride has been wounded. I think North Carolina is still capable of scoring, and I don't think Clemson's a juggernaut, and this is really going to be uh, big for DJ Uyangalele, I think, in terms of his future. Uh, you know, and whether, you know, I think the competition is going to be open with Club Nick. It almost demands that it will be next year, but you'll see the writing on the wall, perhaps by the way he plays, whether, you know, whether he has a chance to win that competition next year. But I, I think Clemson will rise up. I think they'll show a little more pride. I think they'll run the ball against uh, North Carolina. And I, I'm going to say Clemson wins and covers. And after having that streak of six straight ACC crowns uh, snapped last year, they will win another one and bring it back uh, to Clemson. I'm going to sneak in here uh, quick, and I'm going to echo Reese's thought and take Clemson. I just think the the line mismatch, Clemson's defensive line, can be disruptive to an offense that obviously is predicated on speed and timing. So um, I do think there's a, some pride in the Clemson program, and, and to lose the way they did last week, I think we're going to see a response. I don't think Dabo's going to let this team spiral out of the season. So I'm going to take the uh, I'm going to take the Tigers. Well, congrats to the heels. We're going to end on another unanimous <laughs> one here. Um, Thompson did respond well to losing in Notre Dame. That was a very, I mean, that was a, that was a more shocking loss to than South Carolina to me, just because of how dominant it was and, and how they were beaten physically. And then just turned around and absolutely handled their business against Louisville, um, a, a very hot Louisville. Um, so that, that proves something to me. I think though, I'm going to, I'm going to pick Clemson just because, we know that they can win games with their quarterback playing poorly. They've had to do it a couple of times. DJ Uyunglele has absolutely improved on average this year. His worst moments this year have almost been worse than his worst moments last year. Um, and they did lose to to both Notre Dame and South Carolina with him playing pretty poorly. But I, to me, like if we don't know if it really is just Drake may hit in a wall, if there's no like other reason for it, he's just kind of done and, and, you know, he'll head into next season with some good hype, but he's done this year. 
North Carolina can't beat Clemson without Drake May playing incredibly well. Um, so, you know, that's, that's what it comes down to for me. I think the line play is definitely one factor and, and Clemson, they, they have been there. They've been there plenty and, uh, they're, they're going to probably, they're more likely to, to play well and show up and just handle their business. So, um, this one has certainly lost all the possible luster it could have, it could have had at one point, but give me Clemson by double digits. All right, to close it out, your locks for the week. And we are going to make the locks this week because since we picked all the games, we're going to make it a two-pointer. <laughs> so give me your most confident pick of what you just uh, threw on the board there, Bill Connolly. I guess I'm going to dare the gods here and say Michigan. Um, let's see what you can do with Purdue this time. Uh, make something really crazy happen. But I do think you know if Michigan plays a B-level game, they're going to handle Purdue's B-level game by quite a bit. So give me the Wolverines. If we're if we're doubling down on a pick, it should probably, considering all of our collective records this year, make our listeners twice as likely to go against it. That said, if I'm doubling down a pick, I'm going to double down on Clemson. I just feel like North Carolina, which danced with the devil all year, has has hit a bit of a wall, and I feel like Clemson's overall defensive talent, as I just said uh, up front, is is going to be able to swallow them whole. Drake May has not played well these uh these past few weeks and uh and i really feel like they'll be able to affect him in the pocket and put more pressure on him than any opponent that north carolina has seen this year so i'm going to take the tigers big dj running the run in the rock and uh yeah clemson figures out a way to uh bring their own guts and win you know sometimes the things you get etched in your mind and your memory uh, it takes a hard long time to erase them. And I've got a lot of confidence in the Clemson program bouncing back and answering challenges. I think that loss, letting the lead get away, uh, losing the seven-game winning streak against South Carolina, losing the 40-game home field winning streak, that's the kind of thing that historically Dabo has really been able to pull his team together about. Bill talked earlier about the way they played against Louisville. So I'm going to double down on, on Clemson winning the ACC championship and covering. That's going to be my, my two-pointer. Uh, I think their defense is, is going to uh, make life difficult on North Carolina offense, which is really good. Really explosive. Everyone knows what I think of the quarterback and of Josh Downs, but they haven't played as well uh, in the in the last couple of weeks. And I don't think this is a good time to be catching the fellas in orange and purple. So I'm I'm going to double down on Clemson, and that will that will be my lock of the week, gentlemen. Really fun. Enjoyed it. Uh, we will we will continue with College Game Day podcast. In the aftermath of Selection Sunday, we'll have the reaction to the four playoff teams, all of the bowls set up, and, of course, make arrangements to pay off the race for the ribeye. This is the College Game Day Podcast. Download it wherever you like to get your podcast.